Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Jonathan Danielko, or JD for short. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. I appreciate it. This is, this is kind of a first for me, so a little, little new to it. Well, this should be fun. Um, so I, one of the reasons I invited you here is because you have a fantastic blog at Danielko Web. Uh, we'll put some links to that in the show notes and, and share that with folks in chat here. But uh, it, it's it's a great uh, great blog. You always have fantastic stuff on there. A lot of it's written yourself and, and from some guests as well. So I, I said, hey, come on the show. Let's let's talk about some stuff. All right. Yeah. Some of the stuff. Some of the stuff that it, it's it's hard to come up with because as you go through your career for so long, you know, you just some of these things you take for granted and you just don't know about it. But then somebody brings it up and asks you a question and you go, that would be a great post. I think I might do that. So. Absolutely. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and, and what you do? All right. Um, as, as Ed said, I am Jonathan Danelco, JD. Uh, I work for a company called Insight as a principal software engineer. Love it. Um, been doing web development since about 94 in my first career, first, first position way back when. And uh, classic ASP for those who know about it, for the seasoned people. Um, and since then, I've been doing .NET. So, uh, and then started getting into .NET Core, playing around with that some more. And as I learn, I, I like my audience to learn as well. So I kind of, as I pick something up in ASP.NET Core, I also write about it on the blog. So everything's been uh been going good but i have some uh family hiccups so i haven't been writing too much lately on the blog but i want to get back into it yeah the, those family hiccups can catch you by surprise and yeah i always you know, i always use it it's like a kind of a an excuse i'm really bad at blogging so i i can tell you're the you're the opposite of me you've you've got the um Kind of the cadence where you've you've got posts coming out all the time and it, it looks like even even though you've hit a hiccup with some family stuff you'll probably get back into it really good uh that's that's one habit i just haven't been able to form yet is i don't write enough uh so i admire yeah. your enthusiasm here well, thank you most of the most of the posts i know i i said to you at one point you you asked me um uh how, how many posts do you write and i said well usually i try and get like two a week in and you're just like holy smokes you know, two a week. <laughs> yeah. he goes i i i think ed was like yeah i'm trying to just just scrounge for one a month you know it's like yeah you know. i know it's I, a bad habit of mine my my website is uh pretty sparse these days but i feel like I, i'll get back into it here pretty soon um but uh you know you're doing a lot okay. of conferences too you're, you're yeah doing a, lot of, uh, a lot of stuff like that so that kind of takes up some time so yeah, it was nice. Uh, it was nice seeing you though again at Star Trek. So we both bumped into each oh, other absolutely. up in Ohio and Columbus. Uh, yeah. It was a fantastic time. Um, did Did you see anything in uh, Star Trek that that you really enjoyed? Um, most of the Star Trek, I, I, I just seeing everybody again, just getting out <laughs> and mm -hmm. making sure that uh, everybody was okay. Um, 
of course, some of the, uh, let's see, what was the one? Of course, had to make a call out to uh, our own Matt Boland from Insight. He did a pretty good, he did a really good presentation on uh, uh, stop deploying at like 6 a.m. and get a good night's sleep. It's kind of like a CICD. <laughs> so that was, that was a good uh, presentation. We also had, I saw Steve Smith. Uh, of course, I got to see Steve. Um, what was the other one? Steve's fantastic. Uh, yes, he is. Uh, some other ones I think was, uh, Joe Godano, Godano? Mm -hmm. six, yep. six or so new features for .NET six. Yeah, Joe's a friend of ours. To. He's, uh, he works over at, uh, rocket or rocket mortgage. Rocket mortgage yeah. 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 Um, I hope I got so, that right. Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, there were, there were some really good ones. Uh, the secret to fast performance. I'm, I'm, I am starting to get more into performance with .NET than anything. And what was the one I thought Mike Harrington, it was the secret to fast performance. I think it was, and that kind of, it was more, I don't think it was .NET specific, but it kind of led me astray. So I kind of, I was like, okay, not that one. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's Star Trek. They, they do a, an awesome job every year, every year they do one. And yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those code mesh and Star Trek are the ones I always try to go to. So yeah, folks don't uh, know what we're talking about. Uh, Star Trek is one of my favorite conferences I've mentioned on the show probably too many times, but I'll, I'll do it again. Um, it is a conference where inside of a movie theater, they host a day of sessions. And then there's probably what, six or seven sessions. I think it's maybe six. And then uh, you get to watch the latest movie release, which has been for the past, I don't know, eight years, I think, like Marvel. I think it was one year it was a, a Star Trek movie, which gave it the name. And yep. then the following many years it's been marvel just because that that's lined up very well there's not a new star, star trek movie every year but there's been kind of a new marvel movie every year marvel every year yep yes there has Jeez. now there's one like every month it seems yeah <laughs> well and the tv series coming out anybody who knows yeah. me they know i'm marvel junkie so it's like yeah I, I always look at this stuff and enjoy it so yeah, so it's it's been um, kind of a uh, I don't know a staple of mine, so to say, to, to go to Star Trek every year. And luckily, I've been able to present many times. And uh, you you mentioned Steve Smith; he, he goes by R Dallas because there's it's kind of hard to yeah. uh, make true, yeah. yeah to to make your name uh, SEO friendly when it's literally Steve Smith. Poor Steve. So he goes by yeah. R. Dallas online, but he's presented, I think, like every Star Trek but one or something. It's it's pretty insane. Yep. Yeah. He's he's been uh he's been a staple at uh Code Mash and Star Trek. So yeah, he's, he's <laughs> always I think he's one of the organizers, I think. So he can, uh, yeah, he can I think get he his has name been. in there. I think he can, <laughs> he can get his name in there to present every once in a while. So yeah, but he totally deserves it. Like he, he comes does. up, he has such fabulous content. Uh, no matter where you're seeing his content, like if it's his blog, it's his Twitch and podcast, yeah. and you name it. Well, he's got fantastic stuff. 
plural site, I think. Yeah. You want to talk about a guy who's busy. Oh my gosh. He is busy. So yeah. Great, great personality too. Like he's so nice and uh, one of the nicest folks. And then, and then I I talked to you at a, you know, Star Trek and said, are you still blogging? And he said, yes, of course. And you have all these fabulous posts on your blog. So I figured we'd, we'd talk a little bit about some of uh, the stuff you've been writing about. Um, You know, you've got some posts about uh, testing, unit testing, and uh, a bit about refactoring on there. So uh, those two things are like peanut butter and jelly. Figured we'd, we'd chat a little bit about those things. Um, okay. So it's, what what is uh, the fascination with uh, unit testing? What kind of advice do you have for us? Um, I'm sorry, I just got a notification and I didn't hear you. What was the fascination oh. with? Yeah, it's just kind of what's your spin on unit testing? You know, is it uh, oh, okay. something that you rely on very heavily at work? You know, what's um, well? What do you enjoy about it? Well, one of the things uh, this this is actually a little uh, side note, but at one of the companies that I worked for, um, there was there was a business rules engine that we had, and at one point we realized there was a major flaw in it and we had some issues that we needed to fix. So we had a whole suite of tests that we set up our, our development team. And I think it was, I think about 800, 800, 900 unit tests for this business rules engine. And at one point we found a major flaw, a major problem, which could cause some, issues with the business logic. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, okay, now that we have the, the unit tests in place, we can refactor confidently. Okay. So this was more, um, I think I was, I was one of two people who were going through and rewrote the entire bull, uh, business rules engine in three days. So this was kind of, as we kept rewriting it, we kept going through and running the unit tests and the, the uh, unit tests at the very end of the three days when we were done, everything worked out perfectly, except for one unit test that said you had the name wrong out of those 800. So it's like we knew what needed to be changed, but changing the core of the system required the unit tests. So that's that's kind of why. I think a, a lot of other developers, seasoned developers, use this kind of mentality. And I have this on my website under under about, I think. Um, I believe that you just get it functional. It could look as messy <laughs> as, as, you know, you, this, is, this is your first draft. But mm-hmm. once you get it functional, then you're ready unit test. Then when you, uh, when you uh, create that unit test, then you have something to go back to and refactor. Once you refactor that code, that's when you start making it pretty. When yeah. you have the unit test in place. So some some new new developers don't catch some of that, but it's like just created. It's it's a phased approach, of course. Everybody does development in their own way. But um, that that was a side story. <laughs> but now with that side story, this gets me to the. Uh, yeah, this, um, this is good. I like the lead in here. One, one of the posts um, that I wrote called uh, what unit tests reveal about a web app. So <clears throat> some of the 
and this was another story. Um, some of the unit tests that I have seen aren't small, but if there's something like maybe for each method, you had 20 or 30 methods in your, uh, what I call the AAA approach. And I'm, I know a lot of other developers have taken this approach as well. You're talking about um, act assert. Yep, exactly. Arrange, uh, which is set up the classes to test. And then you have your act perform the actual test, and then the assert, which is based on the you know based on the results, did it perform the way you expected? Mm -hmm. So, I've seen some arranges where it it'll have like twenty or thirty lines of code, which just to just to arrange it. Um, <laughs> that that kind of that. I know I said to you before, and I started getting a little bit of a twitch, you know, when I when I see this. <laughs> but um, uh, I saw that, and it, that's almost something you need to take a step back and reevaluate a little further. When you have to create so much cruft just to get one line or two lines working, and then you would do an assert, something something is is amiss. Something something yeah. is off. So. It sounds like whatever you're testing, you know, you have to be able to reason about it while you're you're using it in in production. And if you've got 20 lines of setup for that thing to be tested, then there's a lot of like state going on. Yes. It's possible whatever you're testing has more than one responsibility. I'm going on a limb here, but I'm pretty sure that's certain. No, uh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. So what, what other code right. smells can you think of there? Um, I hate to bring this one up, but I've seen some code where um, somebody created a unit test library to test the code so their unit test would pass. So that's kind of like this, the second point that I had here for um, writing code for your unit tests so your unit tests pass. And what I mean by that is some people would create so much extra unit testing helper functions just to make their own code run and then in their unit test they would call that unit test library just to get the single value back asserted properly so, so it's kind of a it so do you make unit tests for your unit test library that you just created? yeah so if you <laughs> you know if you got a factory that's spinning up stuff just to make your thing testable then you know yeah that, that might be a problem yeah and and that's that i have seen one two probably three places that have done that um but the 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 code i as an experienced developer when you actually look at some of this code sometimes you have to take a step back and go okay what are we trying to do and when I saw core library functions with a unit testing library or layer on top of that, it kind of made me think, okay, well, shouldn't that unit test, all that cruft that's done ahead of time, shouldn't that be put into an abstraction in your core library just to get things up and running, maybe a service layer of some kind, kind of melted in, you know what I mean? Um, it, it would be more of, it should be one, two, maybe three lines of code for a range, 
and then an assert to kick it off. And your assert should look almost like production code. It should look like a production call inside your core library. Mm -hmm. So now, every, everything we've kind of mentioned here so far has been pretty language agnostic. Uh, yes. But I'm going to mention something that's very, very .NET like. I'm sure there's similar things in other languages too. But uh, do you use fluent assertions at all? Uh, yes, I do. I need to put that's, more. That's something I really like. Uh, yeah, fluent assertions. I like those as well. Those uh, and um, I've. I think I, all I have is like a Rhino or not Rhino mocks mock. I use MOQ. Mm -hmm. mock for most of my stuff but the the fluent assertions um i haven't blogged too much about that thank you i might not need to write that one down for a blog post so <laughs> that is one thing that has made my my testing uh you know the, the code much more readable and easy to use so fluent assertions yeah. is um an extension method library that is for testing that gets you away from writing assert a is b instead uh, it extends the type. So it's already contextually aware of the type. So say the method you run produces an integer. When you hit, you know, the, the dot after that method, you're going to get the result. So the result is an integer already. You're going to get only extension methods that apply to integers. And, uh, you know, this goes for whatever the return type is. So if it's a string, you'll get string matching um, assertions. Uh, very simplest uh, example of it. If you know if something returns a Boolean value, let's say when you yeah. you type dot, you'll get you know IntelliSense for is true or is false instead of that. having to type in assert you know so and so method comma false you know, that that whole thing just it reads better with fluent assertions. I love that library. It's one of my my absolute favorites. Yeah, it's what I call programming. Yeah, I can't speak today. Programmatic syntax. It's like it just sentences, programmatic sentences. It just automatically flows. You just yeah. it's like you're talking. So it's it's kind of makes it human readable. It doesn't exactly. look like you're writing it for a computer, but you know, you're writing it to, to speak a it out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's the way a lot of my code. Actually, I, I try to write it so it can be spoken. That's kind of like where my mind goes. I, Same here. Same yeah. here. I, I always try and do, you know, Hungarian notation was was way back when, and that was like putting the Titan mm -hmm. in front of the the name of what it was called, like I, uh, I number. That's kind of you know, ridiculous, but it would be an integer. So Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, we've got the arrange act assert, uh, you know, kind of keep your, your tests minimal. Uh, what do you do with stuff that's just really, really hard to test? Yes, this is, this is where you get into uh, some of the refactoring, like, I, like we mentioned before. Um, <clears throat> some of the hard to test, and I, I think, I believe some developers go, go to this place when when this happens because uh, again unit tests are first drafts kind of making sure everything runs fine but then you should look at those unit tests and go wow that is way too big to to, to put in a unit test and maybe take some of that 
some of those methods or some of those some of those classes and make a service class out of it of some kind with mm -hmm. those same layers, I guess, with those same methods. And then just call that one service to do all of that. I mean, I know it's different. I'm contradicting myself almost. It's it's almost like it's um you're you're performing more setup in the core application than you are for your unit tests. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, I think it, what yeah. you're saying is like don't write a don't write like a factory method for the test library, write the factory method so it can be used in your application when it needs it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So it when you have so when you have these large methods or these large uh, unit tests, that's the time to take a step back and, and look at the forest through the trees kind of thing. You know, is this where this should be? And it may be time to analyze the architecture of the application, maybe. Because mm -hmm. the web app, it may, it may be doing, it may be time to refactor some things is, is what I'm getting at. So, um, the refactoring, um, when you refactor your code, it makes things so much easier to uh, unit test because the smaller the smaller the method, the easier it is to unit test. Mm -hmm. So, and when <clears throat> when you have these unit tests written, then you you can refactor with certainty that the things you're you're rewriting aren't going to break. Uh, that's yeah. where I think the real value of the unit tests shines. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just seems like I said, when I, when I rewrote that business rules engine and I had help, trust me, I had a lot of help from some, some other people. Um, it, it got to the point where we relied on those unit tests to make sure that everything was working as planned. And except for that one unit test, 800 unit tests, only one of them broke and it was because of a name or something. So that kind mm -hmm. of gave the developers more peace of mind that yes, we did this the right way going forward. So, and it was definitely better, better code. So definitely. Uh, I've, I've been speaking to um, uh, a friend of mine named Eagle Hansen. He's, he's the creator of B unit for laser uh, oh. for testing blazer components. Uh, and you know, I've, I've done some unit testing and I feel like I'm pretty decent at it. And then you talk to somebody like Eagle and you're like, wow, this guy really knows how to do this stuff. You feel about this and big, don't you? Yeah, I, this guy's got unit testing down to an art form. Yeah. Uh, so he's made uh, a nice library for testing Blazor components. And uh, you start writing tests against your components. And you start realizing where, um, you know, smaller components need to be taken out of of those things and made into individual components and it's it's really eye-opening and then you can go back and you know refactor and break things but break it with oh, yeah. the reassurance that you can you know fix it and know it's know it's fixed and uh i think that's a, a game changer it's it's pretty cool stuff yeah it, it's amazing uh, and the people who know who write these tools you know it just blows my mind just mm -hmm. you know, how much they know. Cause like I don't even, I mean, I just feel about that big when I start talking to some of these people <laughs> about some of the unit tests, but you know, it's, 
I try and humble myself and just <laughs> and and learn. So it's like I'm still learning. So let's talk a little bit about refactoring. Like, what are some of the either like what are some good examples of things you've worked on? You've got some blog like a series of blog posts around that. And uh, what are some of your favorite you know uh, stories from the front lines uh, on this type of thing? Oh my God. Back in my day when I used, to, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, um, one of the, one of the refactorings, I have a blog post. Uh, I, I collect, I do a lot of collections on my website and one of them is a collection of real world refactoring. And this mm -hmm. is some of the, some of the, the things that I've gone through with uh, development and one of them was uh, uh, the Reese's Cup development problem. Um, what, what happened was uh, some people, if, if you remember back to the web forms days, I don't know if you remember registering uh, JavaScript on the C sharp side to send it over to the client in web forms. Yeah, unfortunately yeah. I do. <laughs> Just, just me mentioning that. I just, I feel dirty. I'll be right back. I gotta go take no. <laughs> uh, um, it, some of the, uh, that's what I call the, the Reese's cup problem. You got your, you got your C sharp or your JavaScript in my C sharp, you know, and you know, uh, some of the, some of the stuff I've been doing was, uh, I think it was even, even having HTML and JavaScript back in the days, but now it almost seems like it's turning into commonplace to have some of the HTML with the JavaScript with some of the React and, you know, just mixing everything together and, and moving it along. It was just with the, the uh, having the HTML in the C sharp just did not feel right. You know, just streaming that back instead mm -hmm. of calling uh, a web control and then just having, you know, passing in a variable for that and passing that along, you know, and it, it, it felt some of the things that we needed to do was make it more declarative instead of programmatic. So if you yeah. had a declarative file, you could put in the templating in the AFCX and then just call that to pass that back instead of hard coding the HTML and then spitting that. Yeah. So it's kind of. So this is a little bit different than what we do with React and Blazor because in React and Blazor, the, you know, there's like an engine behind, you know, there's either a view engine behind it or there's some sort of tooling, you know, like a preprocessor and you know, like React gets kind of like compiled for lack of a better term yeah uh in this scenario we're talking about like shipping raw html with embedded logic yes. that tells the the browser how to then interpret said html that we just delivered yes and that yes. is that is a messy situation to get into there like it's yeah. really hard to test for one uh, for two yes. like if something breaks you're you're really hard to like troubleshoot that thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And then uh, what was what was one of the other ones? Um, 
one of the one of the items that I was looking at, I think some people who know me, they know when they show me a switch statement, I kind of get a twitch as well. Um, <laughs> I can agree um, with this one. The, the, the reason I kind of get a, a twitch is because of instead of just doing almost like the if then else, if then else, if then else, if then else, like the arrow, I think, what is it called? The arrow? If then expression bodied. Oh, uh, just, yeah. it's like an arrow. You just get the long, if then else, it just keeps going zigzagging. Yeah. <clears throat> instead of, instead of doing that, this could actually be, um, a class of some kind. And one of the, <clears throat> in one of the posts that I had, um, it was talking about planets mm -hmm. and it was an enum and each planet had Mercury, Venus, you know, all the planets. And then for a planet decision, it, it, it determined what was the distance from the sun. And it had, if it's planets, Mercury, make it this number. If it's mm -hmm. Venus, make it this number, just all of these different, uh, distances from the sun. Um, it would have been easier just to do a class and then inherit from that, compose it that way with an interface, just say, what's the distance from the sun. Mm -hmm. And then you could just return back. This is the distance from the sun, you know? Yeah. So that, that kind of thing. Anytime I see enums that, that alone is like, <laughs> they should be well, they have their, they have their place, right? They, they, they do, do have their place, they do. but they need to be very well thought out before you commit to them. Yes. Uh, it should not be one of the first things you reach for. Um, it should be maybe the last thing you refactor. It should be refactored out from something else where you're like, oh, this could have been an enum. It would have made life easier, not the other way around. Because once yeah. an enum's in your code, then it's it's hard to get rid of it. Um, um, the enums also, I think I remember, if you look up enumeration classes, I think... Jimmy Bogard talked about it, and funny enough, so did Steve. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was more of uh, enumerations were an automatic smell altogether. Yeah. And I think they created like a base enumeration class of some kind where you can inherit it from, inherit from it, and then uh, even inherit from it further, extend it out further if you wanted, like, you know, person employee manager kind of kind of deal with the hierarchy and then you can apply certain properties to it if you just wanted it kind of like a lookup yeah so a lot of times the enums like should really just be used for things that have a finite set of switches and you yes. do not plan on those things ever really being expanded on uh it, you know it's not something that's going to be dynamic in any way and you really just want to limit your API to these certain things, these certain options or something. But other than that, they can cause a lot of unwanted side effects. Uh, and as soon as you write one, the, the first thing that's going to happen is somebody's going to be like, I, I need to add a thing to this list of enums. And you're like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. And that's why they were talking about the enumeration classes. It's like all you do is add one onto it, you can inherit from it, or add another yeah so uh, uh yeah it 
in the example that you give, uh, th this is actually very similar. I wonder when you wrote this because we we may have written oh, something. Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. We were probably writing about same time uh, this this whole um, coding exercise. It's very similar to something I have in a workshop that I gave. Actually, I think you might have been in that workshop at one point. I was too. in the workshop. Was it the poker? Yeah. The, uh, cards? So yeah. We, we come up with yeah. very similar solutions on this. So it's, uh, you know, in a in a poker game, I did this. And uh, instead of um, switching through all these different outputs and, and deciding on, you know, what the top, uh, the score of the poker hand is, you put them, if you put them in objects, then they can go inside of a list. And if they're inside of a list, you can use link to sort them. And that's kind of what you've got going on here is you have a list of planets in their their distance from the sun rather than this chain of if then else or switches yeah. uh, that you know so you can use uh, you've got this dot find in there which is a, a link method if i remember correctly or is that just one of the native uh list functions i can't remember I that's one of the list is that i th yeah. think oh now you got me thinking I know. I can never remember which ones are, are extension methods and which ones are built in. Yeah. Like, I, you know, add is definitely a built in thing. I think find is built in also. I think find it's, is built it's in. either part of list or I collection or something like that. Uh, but anyway, it's yeah. still, it's still a list based function at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot easier to use that than it is to, manually like code through all the iterations and <laughs> have set outcomes for each thing yes so exactly. definitely like that one that's a that's and a good I, example another one that i i like is um was the filtering products using a builder pattern um the builder pattern that's that's kind of goes along the lines of what we were talking about earlier with the uh, the fluent uh assertions Mm -hmm. um, if you wanted to create, like, say, say you had a, um, say you were building, uh, instead of new egg, it's called new ed or, you know, something, something like, but you had a list of all these products, all these hardware products, and you wanted to filter on memory, Ram, uh, all of these different, all these different properties of these hard, of these hardware components. Uh, you can actually create a uh, builder pattern, use a builder pattern to filter out some of these items. And this mm -hmm. is, this is a shout out to you. <laughs> when oh, I thank first you. started doing this, um, there was, you had a library, uh, I think it was a predicate builder. Yeah. I think, it's still, it's still out there and it's .NET standard compatible so it's pretty much like it's gonna live forever i'm gonna knock on wood for that one but it shouldn't so, need any updating just to you know not yet that's anyway. my favorite that's my favorite kind of open source project because i can write it once and like never have to touch it again i've got two go. of those that that are very agnostic to .NET versioning and things yes. anyway and this was uh this was something that I absolutely was trying to figure out how to do, and you actually had the solution for it with your predicates. Uh, so 
as you're going through, you have a product and then you add on to the predicate to get it from the catalog in the, in the table, you say, and mm -hmm. also equals one meg or, uh, or this or that, you know, it, and as you keep, uh, clicking things on the left-hand side for memory, or it has to be within a certain price range or, you know, all this, when you do, when you click the filter button, all of those get sent back and that builder pattern creates this result set back for you. And that was kind of the engine of a search function on a commerce site that I did. So um, that was, I mean, I know some people, some, some developers would go, if this is this, then add that to that. Again, once you get that rough draft, then you kind of go back and you go, that just doesn't look right. <laughs> just, yeah. something, something needs fixed. So, but, With uh, these, um, you know, expressions that you, you get in uh, like filtering and sorting, uh, this went back to an article I read. I'm trying to remember where I read it. And it was, I think it was a very generic thing. It wasn't based on .NET. It was just, a, you know, a, general computing thing and it was a filter and pipeline programming model and the idea is you know with a filter and pipeline is you know say you have a reservoir of foo and you have to yeah. get it to the spigot whatever that is yeah. you probably want to run a series of filters on it before you know it gets to whatever the consumer is so instead of having in line like all of these search criteria with uh you know sorts and finds and this and that you just encapsulate those in a method um and extension methods work really great for this uh regular methods can do it too but you basically componentize the search criteria so it's you know for yes. each property that you need to search on you might have a you know this is you know people older than 50 filter and yes. uh, you know inside of that method what it's going to do. It's going to search for <laughs> whatever records where the person's age is above 50, exactly. for example. And, and I think uh, you actually wrote a post about this, about, you know, making things so much easier to read. Again, the programmatic, mm -hmm. programmatic uh, sentences, you know, so you could actually, it's, it's readable. So, you, and this was part of, yeah, if it's greater than 50, then it would return this, uh, you know, less than 50 or greater than 50 and then return back that Lambda. So it's, yeah. Yeah. I remember you yeah. writing that. I think I used this, um, on, I could, I could talk about some of these things now cause I don't work for that company anymore. And I know the software is <laughs> like obsolete. Uh, okay. I built a, uh, what's called an MSDS database. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is something we could have bought off the shelf for, you know, many hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or whatever it was, uh, or we could have built it ourselves. And it's really just a simple document repository for materials at a factory. Yeah. So basically what they would do is they would, you know, say you buy some, um, some epoxy, mm -hmm. that epoxy comes with a material data safety data sheet. And it says, you know, is it flammable? Uh, what happened, you know, is there, procedure if you get it in your eyes you know, yeah. it's all the safety information and a lot of it is just 
property-based stuff and it's all standardized. I loved working with anything that had a, like a, a JDEC standard or an industry standard behind it, because that means that there usually was like a property definition or a schema of whatever this thing was. I just needed to take their uh, standard and turn it into code. So yeah. this one was all the material safety stuff. You ever seen that diamond shaped thing on the back of a truck going down the road uh, oh, or it has yeah. like, it's flammable. And then there's like some other numbers that you, if you're not in any kind of industrial, you know, uh, factory or anything, you don't know what those numbers mean, but to yeah. somebody that works in, um, in safety that, you know, if the truck gets in an accident or something, those numbers can mean life and death. That that's what this was about. So it's like, uh, they would take the diamond and key, you know, key in the few numbers that were there. Um, even though this thing was standardized, they, you know, it never came with like a, a bit of like data or an API. It was always like a hard copy of some manual or whatever. So they'd, they'd queue in, you know, the, the, the pertinent properties to it, then scan the document in and attach it to the properties. And, uh, then they would want to search on, you know, what, what in the factory is flammable. They could just, you know, click on you know, a thing in the UI and it would queue up the is flammable sort criteria and yeah. sort all the items that way. So I had all these filters That's built in that okay. they could just go in and, and ad hoc query on stuff. And um, then those things would turn into SQL queries through NAD framework without any other intervention on my part. So Perfect. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a really easy database to write, but uh, the can solutions were like, astronomical <laughs> in value like <laughs> that there was so many people just uh selling these solutions and um i was able to like make that in a couple weeks and just deploy it it was, it was really easy stuff well, that's cool uh, relatively speaking um yeah. so that's where the, the the idea for that came about and then it looks like you ended up using it for something very similar too absolutely absolutely and thank you for that i really appreciate that that was good to Good library. I like it. Yeah. That's, that's cool to see it actually get used for something other than what I was doing, but it's a, it's a very similar, you know, scenario. It's like, yeah. uh, we, if you break down the problems to their fundamentals, it's like, we have a thing we need to search and filter it. It's not, it's not a new problem. Exactly. Somebody has encountered this somewhere out there. Yeah. So, and that's, that's why I love, that's why I love some of these refactoring books and I just can't say enough about them. I mean, the one, the one book I have somewhere, um, it's called refactoring into patterns mm -hmm. and it's if design patterns in C sharp and the factoring refactoring book by Martin Fowler had a, had a kid refactoring the <laughs> patterns that's that's probably the best the best way to describe it and it, it's it was almost based on the uh the the builder pattern which is that filtering products using a builder pattern once i found mm -hmm. that inside the uh inside that refactoring in the patterns book um i was like you know <clears throat> the the it, the light came on and i was like Oh wow! And then I started flipping through, trying to find more. You know, what other kind of patterns are in here? You know, 
what else can we make? So it's, it's amazing. Some of those books that have so much knowledge. That's why I love the signature series. You, you mentioned a name earlier that uh, got me looking at the types of code we're talking about more in depth and that, that's jimmy bogard i remember he did this yeah. um so jimmy if you don't know who he is uh again we're, we're dropping over to like the dotnet side of things uh he's been influential in the, in the net stuff for quite a while uh so he, he is yeah a brilliant at finding these abstractions that come off of you know i have this app at work you know that i wrote but i know somebody's you know, a million times over solved this problem. Why is there not a library? Uh, Mediator's one of them. The other one is AutoMapper. Like that was, or Auto is mapper, still, yes. I'm sure, very popular. It's like, That's I need a to- signature. Yeah. yeah. I need to map these things together. But uh, before I even knew about AutoMapper, he had a talk that he gave and it was recorded somewhere. Uh, it may have been a code stock or code mash or whatever. Uh, but it got recorded thrown on YouTube. And I remember seeing this talk he gave called putting your controllers on a diet. And um, <laughs> he remember that one too. <laughs> he refactored the snot out of these controllers in an, an, an MVC application to where the controllers were basically like two lines of code. And there was, I think AutoMapper might have been in there and, you know, a couple other simple uh, like messenger patterns that he had just thrown together. I think I remember that. I was like, I looked, you know, looked at something I was working on and there's like, you know, 60, 80, 100 lines of code in the the (laughs) controller on a given controller. And I'm just like, yeah, this, this is not good. Like looking at this going. No, 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 like two lines of code, 200 lines of code. Like, I'm not good at this. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, um, it, it kind of feels like I used to play a lot of like arcade games back in the day. And I used to go to this, uh, yeah, <laughs> we had this bowling, like here's, it's time for an old man story, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we had, uh, we had a bowling alley near, near my house in Tampa. That was the biggest arcade in probably South Florida if not further and uh everybody that was you know into video games would go there to play they literally had three different rooms it was basically the entire length of the bowling alley from one end to the other was arcade machines three rooms one room was all fighting games so you know picture back in the day like this is early 90s of a uh, room that could hold, I think they had eight Mortal Kombat two machines. Uh, oh there was, it was like the Noah's Ark of fighting games. They had at least two of everything. You know, at the yeah. very least, there was two. You know, of the the least favorite games. So there was like like two Virtual Fighter threes or whatever it was. They had uh, four Killer Instinct machines, which was my jam. And uh, I would, you know, at first I was really bad at it and, uh, you know, people would kick me around. And then uh, after I spent a good amount of time and money there, there was a queue behind me that would last all night. And I would just go in with 50 cents and I'd sit there for like three hours straight, just dropping people. And then, um, you know, this game comes out, you know, probably 
20 years later on the Xbox and now it's online. That's a whole different ballpark of competitiveness. <laughs> like you're talking about like the greater Tampa area. And then now you're talking about the entire world. Yes. And I, yes. that was kind of like the same uh, feeling. I'm like, I'm looking at my code and I'm looking at Jimmy Bogart's code to bring it, bring it back to point. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah. thanks. This is, this, is a, this is, this is a different league. I'm in a different league here. Like, so well, that's, I, I did put that in. Um, I, I have like a, I mean, this is an old post really old. This was like 2004, 2006, 2004, six, five, six top 20 lessons learned in 20 years of programming. And it was just like 20, 20 things I've learned. And one of them was just remember, there's always somebody better than you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it, that's why you learn. This is like, you don't stop learning when you're out of high school or college. I am still learning. I am, I am, I'm not going to say my age, but I'm, I'm older. So <laughs> yes, I am still learning. So it's a, it's a whole, whole journey here. Self plenty with the, uh, killer instinct uh happening <laughs> championship the yeah there you go. champion of tampa which uh <laughs> it, you know there, there wasn't a uh competition but uh if there was i would have joined it it's, it's pretty darn good but again like once you travel outside that little that little fishbowl little <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh new feature here on the show we actually have some live chat on twitch um for those of you listening at home and not watching. Uh, so fuel snabble, I don't know if you're, you're trolling or if this is a serious question, because uh, I do know you're uh, a troll at sometimes, sometimes, but uh, you're asking if somebody can explain mediator. Uh, so should we try to break down mediators? It's basically what a uh, messenger pattern, is that like a pub sub? It's a, it, it's definitely a, a pub sub way of of coding and it's i have really haven't dug into it too much all i know is of the what it's meant for and it's 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 more of like an event messenger way of sending sending the the message over to get it get the job done so I, yeah so i don't have too much experience in that so yeah it's a it's a dot net um library I, I would say this might be a long shot but it, it it's kind of on par with a uh flux or redux pattern um but it's for backend.net code so you're, you're talking about like server infrastructure code uh so you you know uh it's like a messenger response type of a thing so uh yeah supports request response commands queries notifications events synchronous asynchronous dispatching yeah. so you're talking about cqrs i think is what it's called um yes. command q response command query command query yeah response something or other <laughs> i i just failed the whiteboard test you and me both. <laughs> I got the acronym CQRS pattern. Um, Command and query responsibility segregation. That's it. Yeah. Okay. What he said. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get that architect position. Okay. 
<laughs> no I'm kidding. Uh, so it looks like uh, Martin Fowler wrote about this back in 2011. I don't know if he was the one that coined it or actually says he's I, another one who's up he, here. He credits Greg he's, Young. He's up here. He's another one. Yeah. So, so folks way smarter than than me uh, came up with this idea. No, this is really cool though. Uh, so it it the idea is um, you know the web in the way like server client models uh, operate is very uh, request response, right? And a lot of these requests and response are written in a way that it's very rigid. Uh, you expect the same uh, caller to be accepting the, the response back. Um, and it creates like this monolithic application architecture. Uh, the way that CQRS works, it kind of breaks down the responsibilities a little bit more where there's a, uh, like an MVC pattern, I guess, where something is requesting a query from a database, the database responds, and there's kind of more of a, um, again, it's very like a flux pattern, but it's, it's more on, uh, client server than just on the UI. Uh, so that you know that query results in some some activity happening in the ui and then once that is complete a command is issued to do something with that that data so you might query the database there's your query you process you know something in the ui the user maybe deletes an item a command to delete the item is processed back to the database but uh, these are in uh, different layers of abstraction rather than all being inside of the same controller. So it, it yeah. separates it's, those it's another, commands another out. another way of just saying these are the read procedures, these are the write mm -hmm. procedures. Yeah. So it's, it, the command query is the reading of the database. And then the, the uh, RS is the actually posting or the whatever writing to the database things right into the database if i'm understanding that right yeah and uh mediator gives you basically the contracts the the interfaces that make this uh you know separation of concerns more obvious and easy to work with um so you've got like i request i notification and those type of things and i've seen people use this uh in in blazer on the front end in place of something like a uh, redux pattern uh, because of the again that similarity there they're they're kind of in that same boat of uh, functionality um so they they you know they're four very complex stateful things that you you don't want the state to get corrupted um yeah. You want to have kind of a in the case of mediator i believe the state is more your uh your data storage is, is like your sql server in like react and or sorry redux the state is or the storage is more like the actual state of the ui but you know they they kind of follow similar ideas after that it's my two cents anyway that was oh, still like four cents. That was really good. Was Phil Snabble <laughs> says he, he uses the CQRS pattern at work. Uh, so uh, if you're using CQRS and you're doing .NET, you might want to look at Mediator, uh, the way it's spelled, Mediator, um, because 
that's literally what it's designed for. And again, that's like one of the Jimmy Bogard, like, uh, why don't we just, you know, everybody's doing this or should be doing this for some reason or another. Why don't we just make a library? Um, it, all good libraries come from abstractions from existing product, in my opinion, refactorings of things, not the other way around. You're, exactly. you're going to write an open source library and you're, your starting point is I'm going to write an open source library. Then you're, you're coming at it from the wrong direction. Wrong angle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, what makes these uh, things that Jimmy's done and the, the few limited successes I've had in comparison um, is they've come from, you know, refactorings of things that, that were, that were working well. And it's like, okay, I refactored all this crap out now. I could apply this to like some other stuff, I'm sure. So let's go ahead and put that in a library. It's from real life experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just real world writing code. So. Yeah. Can you believe that, that that's been an hour already? What? I know you've been, no. you're, you're talking about before the show. You're like, I don't know how we're going to fill an hour. It's, it's been wow. an hour. It's been an so hour. Holy it geez. has been. So uh, with that said, do you have any, uh, first of all, your, your uh, website, of course. Feel free to share uh, a link to that. Okay. Talk about that. Yep. And any other yep. things we'll that you want to link. You know, kind of promote here? Um, not much, but if, if anybody is looking for uh, to explain something or anything.net or I, send me a link or, you know, uh, every every morning I try every weekday morning I try to do morning coffee links at 8 30 just to post mm -hmm. something out there just something that's interesting um I've actually am doing a little side project uh to create a trying to self-publish an ebook so it's uh I let, let the title out uh 31 31 ways to improve performance of your .NET core website so um i've got a i've got an ebook as well it's 32 ways to improve no i'm just kidding i just well, I had, to, my I had to go there. all right well it's like the six minute abs <laughs> do you remember that yep six something minute. about mary i could do it so, in five <laughs> I, I had i had to go there I didn't mean to derail. So you said you're working on it. Is this going to be like yeah. an Amazon published thing or? Um, haven't decided yet. I'm working more on some of the content because of, you know, th these are going to be little nuggets of things that, that .NET developers who are having problems with their website, trying to get performance out of it. Mm -hmm. um, they could just take it and just use it immediately. So they'll, they'll be like, <laughs> of course, 31 chapters. Um, but, uh, each one will be self-contained, so it'll be its own little, uh, improving your, your ASP.NET website performance nice. little nugget. So where, where can we follow you on the Twitters? Uh, let's see, Jay Danelco. I know it's, uh, everybody asked me how to spell it, but it's in the Danelco web on the screen. Uh, Usually, my on denelcoweb.com, I have a list of how you can contact me. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm mm -hmm. on uh, Twitter, uh, I'm on some of the other social. I, mean, I don't think I'm on Facebook. I decided to jump ship on that one. 
Um, uh, I think that's it. Twitter and LinkedIn are the best places to con contact me. Yeah, so. so it's it's Dan Y L K O Web dot com, and then we'll we'll pop that link on the uh, the show notes as well. So if you're looking at this on your favorite podcasting app, you can find it there. And uh, of course, make sure you uh, like and subscribe and all those type of things here on Twitch or on uh, SoundCloud, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And JD, thanks again for coming on the show and chatting. Thank it up. you. It's been so great to much, have you. Uh, this was fun. I had, this was a good time. Thank you for having Excellent. me on. I appreciate it. Any anytime, my friend. Uh, we'll see you all soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.